Hey friends, we hope you enjoy this sermon from St. Jude Oak Cliff. And if nobody has told you today that they love you, we do. But more importantly, God does. Nike and I, when we thought about a series for Lent, uh, and Lent is the 40 days before Easter, thought about what, what about hope through shame and the experience of shame? So Nike did a great job on the first Sunday about, and, um, and even that song that, that, that Becca and Jake and, and Will sang, that last song was a real picture of that, that I'm a child of God. That was the focus of her first message, that we need to believe who we are, who God says we are, and we just don't. And last week I did kind of a strange sermon, but a, I think an important sermon on sometimes we feel shame about different parts of the Bible, and we shouldn't. That's our family. That's us. That's our story. And we need to bring Jesus to all those parts of the Bible. This week, I just want to kind of pause and ask the question, well, what is shame? What is it? And what's the opposite of it? And it's kind of surprising what the opposite of shame is and how Jesus deals with that. So um, if you'll look with me, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13 in the New Revised Standard Version. And we'll look at this idea of disregarding shame, of what that, I know that's what the text says, but what, what does it mean when Jesus disregards our shame? So this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. Some of my favorite verses in all the scripture. We're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, I have a theory, um, but we don't really know. We don't think it's the Apostle Paul. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as children. My child, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, or lose heart when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves, and he chastises every child whom he accepts. Endure trials for the sake of discipline. God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom a parent does not discipline? If you do not have the discipline in which all children share, then you are all illegitimate and not his children. Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not even be more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hand and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is the Holy Scripture. Let's pray. 
Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds together be pleasing to you, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. When I was thinking through this idea of shame, I was asking myself the question, um, when we feel without faith, when we feel faithless, what we need is faith, right? When we feel hopeless, what we need is hope. When we feel unloved, what we need is love. When we feel shame, do we need to be shameless? They're like, oh, I just didn't like, I don't want to be shameless. Like, what is the opposite of shame? You ever thought about that? What is the opposite of shame? Here, the writer of Hebrews, I think it's Priscilla. We don't know who wrote this, but I think it's Priscilla and Aquila that she might have written this. Um, here, the author of Hebrews is talking about Jesus, that when he died for us, he endured hostility against sinners. He endured all that. And he disregarded the shame of the cross. And somehow we have to disregard it. But what does that, what does that mean? Well, let's first of all kind of define shame, if that's good. Um, are, you, are you all aware of Brene Brown? I think some of you are. She's really good. She's a Texan. That's one thing that makes her good. But she's also a, a pretty sneaky theologian and sociologist and writer about shame. And she says, guilt is when you do things that are bad, you feel guilty, and shame is when you say to yourself, I am bad. Have you all heard that? Okay, well, let's, I want to not push back on that, but I think when you say, I am bad, that's not shame necessarily. That's shame that leads to self-contempt. That's self-contempt. That's hating yourself. The, 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 the classical definition of shame is this. It's the feeling of excruciating vulnerability when your weakness or your sin or your failure is exposed. That's what shame is. Um, I went to high school and played basketball, and I think my upper body weighed like 30 pounds and my lower body weighed like 150 pounds. And I was, I was so skinny up top as a basketball player. And the, the football coach, Len Molman, I'll never forget, he talked like this. He said, Bon, man, if your upper body matched your legs, I would have had you on our football team, man. How'd you get such a big legs and such a small upper body? What do you, how do you work on that? And I thought, I never noticed how skinny I was up top, but wow, I'm full of shame. He's exposing it. And I asked one of my buddies about this. I said, Coach Molman, he goes, oh, that means he likes you. Like, he makes fun of me. That means he likes you. Martin said, okay, well, I don't, I don't like that. He said, well, you don't know what shame is. I said, well, what happened to you? He said, well, and this is my buddy, Phil Fiorini, who was a, he was a lineman. And a lineman has to block guys. And they were watching game film. And Coach Mom was looking at game film and goes, whoa, that guy got blown off the line. That means that the offensive guard had to block his guy. But instead of blocking his guy, the linebacker came and pushed him back. Back, 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 back. And Moman said, who is that? Is that you, Fiorini? Play that back. And so he played it back. Well, that is Fiorini. Let's count how many yards he went back. 
one yard, two yards, three yards. Man, he threw you back seven yards. Let's play it back again. No, let's be more precise. That's more like nine yards for your So he just played it over and over again. And I thought, okay, well then I don't feel so much shame now because, you know, I, I didn't say I'm a bad person because I have a skinny upper body, or I did. I just felt like my weakness was exposed. Does that make sense? And when your weakness is exposed, you have this sense of excruciating, just, just excruciating vulnerability. And it occurred to me when, when we feel our weakness is exposed and there's excruciating vulnerability, we need someone to see us. And someone to see us with kindness and then carry it. Does that make sense? So the opposite of shame is not, shame is not just saying I'm bad, it's saying I'm in need. I'm in need of being loved and someone carrying my failure. I need someone to carry my failure. And I thought about what Jesus did for all of us. I think that's the sound system from the school, so I'm sorry, that's... We're trying to figure that out. Oh. I know Robert's working on it right now. Robert, if it's easier, I can take uh, the mic from, from Will or one of the folks. Would that be better or we're good? Okay, that's all right. One of the joys of being in a school. Um, thank you. Yeah, they're working on it. All right. Well, um, what we need when we feel shame is someone to carry it. And so when this biblical language of Jesus saying that he endured the hostility and he disregarded the shame, you have to realize, what did Jesus do on the cross when we did the most shameful acts? He showed kindness to those who were showing the most, who were exposing themselves in the most vulnerable way. To the thieves next to him, he said, you'll be with me in paradise. To those who were killing him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. And to his friends, after the crucified and, and resurrected Lord went to visit his friends in the upper room, he said, hello there, peace be to you. He greeted, you know, we, we call Judas a traitor, but is Judas selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver any worse than what Peter did? Really? Peter denied him. He's a traitor. And when Jesus saw him in the upper room, he showed kindness to him and he carried his failure. Does that make sense? And so that's the beauty of what the, what the gospel does for us is that, well, there's a benefit of having shame and the one benefit is this. It says that I need grace because I need something I can't provide for myself. Now, we don't want to stay in that state. But I think the one benefit is we don't, you know, I'm agreeing with, with Brene Brown, we don't want self-contempt at all. We don't want shame at all. But shame is the doorway to being loved well. This last week I had the privilege of um, bringing a message to the well. The well is a community here in Oak Cliff. And our, 
one of our elders, Brooks, is, is on, on the board of Well and Close to Alice. And the Well is, is a community that serves a local population of men and women that have very um, pronounced and ongoing mental health challenges. Where it makes it very difficult for them to hold jobs, live with their families, and just do life. But they get together every Thursday and they worship Jesus. We sang a bunch of songs and they sit around tables. It was back at Cliff Temple that they did, we did this. And they kind of talk during the message. And what, one thing that's really good about this is that I get immediate feedback. Because they're kind of talking throughout the whole time. And I, I, I thought, I want to show them how gracious Jesus is to people that fail him. So I, I told them about when Jesus said, peace be to you. It really means in Aramaic, hello there. So I told them, as I said, you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, peace be to you. And they said, that's right. He said, peace. And I said, well, peace, what it really means originally is hello there. And two guys said, no, it doesn't. It means more than that. I said, you're right. It does mean more than that. Because peace means forgiveness and, and well-being. I said, that's correct. I said, but it also means hello there. I don't think so. I think it means peace and well-being. I think you're making that up. I said, no, I'm not making it up. And I thought, this is really good. You know, because I think they're actually doing what some of you guys are thinking, right? Like, you know, so maybe we can all do that. Like, hey, Mark, that's not what that means. I said, okay, all right. It does, I, but, but even saying hello there is a sign of being reconciling. They said, well, okay, what do you mean? I said, okay, uh, remember when you're little kids and your mom says, clean the room? Yeah? Okay, and let's say you don't clean the room. And she gives you an hour, and instead of cleaning the room, you make a bigger mess, and you brought in cookies that you shouldn't have, and you're just messing around, playing with your, you know, with your Legos or whatever you're doing. And your mom comes into the room, and she says, what? She calls me by my full name. That's exactly right. She calls you by your full name. Or she says, hey, 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 hey. That's right. But when you've done something wrong and someone comes into the room and says, hello there, what does that mean? They went, okay. Like, now we get you, preacher. We get you now. Hello there is like, I, I'm not angry at you. I, I am not going, I see you in the midst of your mess and I'm not going to leave you hanging. See, what Jesus does that's so beautiful in this the way that he comes against the hostility of him done by sinners and his friends is that he covers us and he carries our shame. But he comes and sits right next to us and says, I'll carry it and I'll be with you. And when you experience that, that love, it hits you so deeply like this guy knows my deepest vulnerability where I am not, I'm not doing good. And everyone else wants to, I want to flee me. I, I, I want to flee me. But he doesn't flee me. He doesn't let go of me. He actually carries me. So what's so beautiful about, I think the opposite of shame is not shameless, but the opposite of shame is having someone carry your deepest failure and cover you. And that's what he does for us. So when it says here in Hebrews chapter 12 that Jesus endured the hostility and that he disregarded the shame, it means that he loved them when they're most unlovable. 
and when they don't even love themselves. You know, when, when you feel shame, you, you, and I feel shame, you feel, I feel alone. And when you get caught, you know, like, oh, because it's public. It's, it, shame is different than guilt. It's doing wrong, but shame is the feeling of, like, I'm being exposed. When, you're, when your mistakes are exposed, I, I think this last week, you know, this, the 16th largest bank in the U.S. just went bankrupt out of Silicon Valley Bank. Public shame. Can you imagine being the president? Well, he might put it off like, well, I, you know, but I think he feels like, who wants to come next to, like, all these people that don't have money now because of what you did. What do you, that was wrong. And what do we want to do? We want to point fingers at him and blame him. He, he must feel lots of shame. He has to. But what if someone just came beside him in kindness and said, yeah, you blew it, man, but you've you got to make good on this somehow. You know, you you got to make good on this. You got to make good on this. You can do this. Think about the first two people that Jesus started with when he started the church after his resurrection. Who were the first who were the, the two major apostles that Jesus started with? Peter. Peter. The one who publicly failed him. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And who was, excuse me, he was the apostle to the Jews. And who was the apostle to the Gentiles? Well, that was Paul. And Paul was a murderer. So you have a traitor and a murderer being the leaders of a brand new community. Why did Jesus do that on, on purpose? I know what they did publicly. I am not ashamed of them. I am carrying their shame. I carry their shame. I identify with them. I died for that shame. I will carry it. And you will carry it too. And you will bring your shame to me. And everyone else that has shame, you're not going to make fun of them. You're not going to avoid them. You're going to carry them. And when you carry that shame, they're going to experience the love of God like they never have before. I had a profound experience, and I just want to close with this. It's a, it may sound strange, but I'll never forget this. I had a profound experience with Jesus with my teta Paul when I was a young boy. Teta means aunt in Croatian. I love my teta Paul. I, and now this is getting a little strange, but bear with me. You know how little kids sometimes wet the bed? Every little kid does, right? I wet the bed as a little kid, but I also kept wetting the bed as I got to be a bigger kid. And I was super tall as a kid. I was double digits and I still wet the bed. 10, 11, I might have even been 12. I didn't want to wet the bed. My dad gave me an alarm, but I soaked the alarm and that's all you need to know and it didn't work anymore. And I tried to do everything, like you couldn't drink water after six. I was just a big kid who wet the bed. And listen, um, when my friends invited me over for their house, I would say, oh, I can't spend the night. But I loved my Tata Paul, and she let me, and we were down in San Diego, and I visited her house. And I was 12, and I stopped drinking water like at 5 o'clock that night, or 11, I think. I forget what it was. And oh, I'm like, please, God, please, God, don't wet the bed. Don't wet the bed. She said, hey, stay in my cousin Mark's room, because he was away. And I said, oh, this is such an awesome bed. Oh, please, God. Oh, oh. Well, guess what I did? I wet the bed. I got up like at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I looked... I, 
I looked for her washing machine. Like, I know how to work a washing machine as an 11-year-old, right? I don't know how to work. So I took all the sheets off, like 5 o'clock in the morning, took, and I put on these other clothes, and I'm trying to do stuff. They are, like, really quiet. And Teta Paul gets up, and she's scratching her head. My Teta Paul, and she goes, Honey, muy zlato, my love. She said, What are you doing, Mark? I said, Teta Paul, I went to bed. I'm so sorry. Oh, she said, Oh, honey, it's so oh, it's okay, and she held me. I was filled with shame, exposed in my vulnerability. She didn't make fun of me, she just held me. She said, this is just between you and me, honey. I got this. What do I do? She said, oh, you're not going to wet the bed now. I said, no, it's all, no, I'm done. And she goes, okay, just, just go lay on the couch. I got this, honey. I, I'm not going to tell anybody. And she never did. I, but now you all know, so you now the whole, but... But I have to tell you, at that moment, you know what I felt? I felt the presence of Jesus through her act of kindness. I was exposed in... I couldn't hide it. And she covered me. She carried it. And she didn't share it with anybody. Just between you and me. It, it, I had never experienced... It was like divine love. And I'm thinking, oh, uh, even then as an 11-year-old, like, I forgot this. That's what Jesus does. I'll close with this. I like old churches. I like old church buildings. Particularly old Catholic church buildings. And here's why. Inside of old Catholic church buildings, and if we ever had a building, we would probably do this here, is you're, you're surrounded by the stations of the cross. These, and the stations of the cross are, um, are the events that happened on Good Friday of what we did to Jesus on the cross. Now, see, these are 12, or depending on the church, 12 or 14 stations of what we did to Jesus on the cross. And it's so strange to go into a building where you think, wow, I'm surrounded by all the things that we did to fail the God that we love the most. Like, house of shame. You know, you're surrounded by shame all the way around. But then when you, when you go in there and experience this, that's not what it feels like. It feels like this. It feels like, oh, this is what we did to the Son of God, and He loves us so much. He's doing the Teta Paul thing. I know what you did, and I'm going to carry it. Hello there. Peace be to you. I know what you did. It feels so welcoming to be surrounded by the worst that we could do. And God says, I forgive you. I love you. Yes, that is a shameful and sinful act. I will forgive that sin, and I will carry your shame. Isn't that beautiful, what he does? So I just want you all to remember that like, when you feel shame, give it to Jesus. He'll carry it. He will carry it. And that feeling of shame reminds you of what you need to be fully alive, which is you need grace to live. Shame is an indicator of I need something that I can't provide for myself. I need someone to come alongside me and carry this with me, cover this for me, believe in me, give me hope. And that's what Jesus does. He disregards our shame. He endures the hostility by his kindness. And the Apostle Paul says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. 
So do I like shame? Nope, don't like it at all. Do you like shame? Nope, don't like public shaming you. That's all bad. But you know what shame? It's an indicator that um, I need something that I can't provide for myself. And there's deep, deep room in the grace of God to cover our shame. When the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus endured the cross and despised its shame, he carried it. He carried it. And he loves us. Let's pray. Holy Father, thanks for giving us your Son. And Holy Son, thank you for dying for us and enduring that hostility. And Holy Spirit, thank you for living within us. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for not being ashamed of us, but that when we feel shame, you carry it. And you come alongside. And you love us. We're so grateful for you. We pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.